Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 5. I want to pick up where we were ministering last week with the woman with the issue of blood. You remember the story that uh, Jesus was come into a new town and uh, a wealthy ruler, a a high ruler in the synagogue, Jairus, came to him and Jairus said, my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter is at the point of death. Would you come and heal her? Come lay your hands on her that she might be healed. And so as he's pressing through this crowd, this thronging of a crowd that is surrounding him, and he's making his way to Jairus. He's making his way to his house so he could uh, minister to his daughter. There is a woman that had an issue of blood of 12 years that came pressing in the crowd, but she came pressing a little differently, didn't she? She wasn't pressing like everybody else. Others were just trying to be in proximity, but she was trying to pull on the, on the anointing and the power that was present to heal in that moment. And she said, I've heard about this man, and I believe if I touch his clothes, I will be made whole. And we know that she pressed in the crowd, right? She pressed in, she touched the hem of his garment, and as soon as she touched the hem of his garment, the issue of blood dried up instantly. She received her miracle in that moment. And we said this last week, that when you truly believe something, it should move you to action. When you really believe something, It should alter your behavior. You should do something different because of the beliefs that you hold. And so last week we talked about the power of conviction. We talked about the power of conviction because I believe that we need a church in these last days that's going to rise up with conviction. Not just say they believe something, but believe it enough to affect how they live. That's what we need in these last days. We're tired of the church that talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. I'm tired of it, you're tired of it, and the world is tired of it too. They want someone that's going to produce results. They want someone that's going to do something with what they know. They want someone that's not just going to believe something in their heart, but they're going to allow it to alter their life in such a way that they dramatically stand out. That's the distinct church. And until we reach conviction, we won't live that way. So we said this, that when belief becomes behavior, it becomes conviction. When belief becomes behavior, it becomes, until it changes your behavior, it's just something you believe. It's just a faith. We have people of faith all over the world. But now we're going to talk about what will your faith actually change you to do, cause you to do, cause you to live. We need people of conviction. If you want your belief to become a conviction in your life, then it needs to do something with your lifestyle with your behavior, with your actions. And so we saw that she believed so strongly with such great conviction that she was even willing to step out, not just in faith for her healing, but in faith in her condition because her condition was one that demanded isolation. Her condition was one that demanded that she quarantine. Her condition was one that demanded she stay away from other people and stay on the outskirts and stay on the outside. But she allowed her conviction to alter her condition. 
She's so convicted, if I touch the heaven, nothing's standing in my way. No religious law, no person, no fear is going to keep me from receiving my miracle. So we saw this last week, but actually as I was ministering this on Sunday, you didn't know this, but I was getting my message for today. Because I saw something that I'd never seen before. You know, the Word of God will do that because it's alive, and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And when you look at the same passage you've always looked at, I looked at it to study one thing, and as I was delivering it, I was getting another message, and I quickly had to go and jot down some notes on my phone just to retain it, and then I've been studying this out. And I want to look at something here that I think is presented in this passage that I want to highlight, and I believe it's going to take us somewhere amazing. And and you'll have to let me uh, 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 meddle a little bit today. Um, you might even have to allow yourself to get a little offended. You'll be okay, I promise. You'll get over it. You'll be just fine. Sometime this week, the Lord will say, hey, you might have been offended in your spirit, but it was right on point. I believe that that's what will happen. But can we just be open to what the word has to say? Because I believe there's going to be a lot of practical application for the time and day that we're living in right now from this message. And so I pray that we don't allow anything to block out what God wants to say. It's going to have a lot of practical uh, uh, implications. There's going to be a lot of activity uh, from this today. But I just want you to have an open heart and an open ear to what the Lord has to say. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 32, this is what happens after she touched the hem. Now, we know when she touched the hem of his garment, he, she was healed instantly, right? It says that the, immediately the, 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 the issue of blood dried up, the flow of blood dried up. But verse 32 says this, he was looking around to see who had done this. Remember that Jesus asked his disciples, who touched me, right? And Peter, in his smart aleck response, everybody's got one of those in the camp, got one of those in the house. Maybe they're in your house. What do you mean, who touched you? Are you kidding me? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's thronging you. Everybody's pressing in. But he said, I want to see who had done this. In verse 33, the woman, now watch this, with fear and trembling. Everyone say fear and trembling. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened. So she's got her miracle. Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the what? Whole truth. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Verse 34, daughter, he said to her, your faith, everyone say your faith. Everyone say her fear, say your faith. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Everyone say peace. And be healed. Go in peace. Everyone say peace. And be healed from your affliction. It's interesting to me that after she got her miracle, we're not done with her. Jesus could have easily stopped right there, gone on about his business. She could have gone her way, having been healed from her physical condition, her external condition. 
But I believe Jesus, see, when I, when I, this is what I believe about God. He doesn't do anything halfway. And, and you are a spirit that possesses a soul and lives in a body. There's spirit, soul, and body. And I believe Jesus wants to touch and heal all of it. Now, she received her physical healing the moment she activated by faith, believing in him, drew the power that was within Jesus that nobody else received from, even though they're pressing in and thronging him. Only she pressed in with the audacity and, and with the initiative to draw power out of him. We made that connection last week. She received her physical healing in that moment. But I believe that Jesus also wanted her to receive healing in her soul. See, her condition put her in a position of not just physical ailment, but anguish in her spirit and in her soul. Because of her condition, she was now having to live for 12 years in a life of isolation, in a life of fear of man. And so, when Jesus calls her out, see, she believed God for a physical healing, and she even believed that God would heal her in a way that would keep her comfortable, wouldn't demand any attention, wouldn't demand any focus on her. Think about it. The hem of his garment, that's at the bottom. She's crawling through this crowd as little attention as possible, drawing as little attention to herself because that's how she's been conditioned for 12 years. She had a physical condition, a physical ailment, but she also had a soul ailment. And Jesus in this moment says, it's not enough that you get your physical healing. I don't want you to get your physical healing and still have to live in fear and anguish of what man will do or say to you from this day forward. That had become a pattern in her heart. That had become a pattern and a habit in her soul. That had become a way of living that she had taken on because of a physical. See, there's always the things that we want God to heal, but then there are still things that we want to hide. We all do this. We all have the list of things we want God to touch, heal, deliver us from. But we also, without knowing it, subconsciously, you have a list of the things you want to hide. You have a list of the things you don't want him touching. You, want, you have a list of, of what you don't think he can do. You have, he can heal my body, but he can't deliver me from fear. Come on now. And so in this instance, Jesus says, I'm not a, I'm not a halfway kind of God. I don't, I'm not a pick and choose kind of God. I'm a God that wants to get in and get all of it. I want to heal the physical, the spiritual, the mental, the emotional, the, the financial. Come on. The social. I want to get all of it. Let me heal your mind. Let me deliver you from identity crisis. Let me add some validation to you. Let me get a hold of that depressing spirit that's on you. Don't just go after the stuff that everybody sees, but let God touch the stuff nobody sees. Let God into the places where you don't want him to go, and God wants to get all of it. It says in this moment when she came to him, notice this, after getting a miracle, you think she would have been jumping up. I got my miracle. 
But it says that when Jesus called her out, as he's looking around, verse 33 says, the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down. And what told him the whole truth? It took her overcoming fear to address truth. It took her overcoming fear to address truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. You know you got to finish it. Once you say the whole truth, you have to finish the line. You, it, it, the, the movie ruined it for all of us. You cannot just say the whole truth and stop there. All of you are like, on the is he going to say it? He's got to finish the sentence. This is the thing. If the devil can't keep you from getting your miracle, he will keep you from being bold about it. We have a dilemma of courage in our world today. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The title of my message is Outrageous Courage. Outrageous courage. We have a dilemma of courage in our country today. We just recently celebrated 9-11, and I had a, a friend of mine that posted a photo that was taken in one of the stairwells where you've got throngs of people heading down. But in this photo, there was one man going the wrong direction, and he was in a fire suit. He's going up. And everybody else was going down. And he just put a little caption there that said, in case you forgot what courage looked like, I wanted to give you a photo. Because today we have accepted all kinds of counterfeit courage. We have all kinds of alternatives for courage. And here's what I believe in, in, in this story, and I want to show you the, the next part of this passage here as well. Is that we talk about faith a lot. We talk about your belief system a lot, believing what the Word says. Faith is simply acting like the Bible is true, right? We, we are a faith church. I mean, it's in our name, Anchor Faith Church. But here's a missing element that I think we're going to see today. That if we don't get this other component right, it won't matter what we believe. Did you know the devil doesn't care what you believe? Did you know that? He could care less. He could care less if it's on your bumper sticker, on your refrigerator. He could care less how many verses are highlighted in your Bible. He could care how many notes you he could care less how many notes you take. As long as you're not bold enough to be convicted about it. He could care less. If I believe it in my heart and it stays in my heart, you're doing no damage to his kingdom, no damage to his territory. It's not what we believe that changes our lives. It's not what we believe that changes the world. It's what we do with it. It's what we, do we allow it to come out of our mouth? Do we allow it to be demonstrated in our lives? And as long as she kept her miracle, but nobody else saw it, as long as, see, if a miracle only changes you, 
we're, we're, we're doing only half the job. Because if you remember, Jesus is on the way to a man named Jairus' house. And he's going to need a little faith shot in the arm. Because what comes right after this miracle is a word of death is a word of destruction, is a word that says, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter has died. Implication, Jesus can't do anything about this situation. As long as we got him there before she died, he could lay his hands on her and heal her. She's dead. Don't bother him anymore. Let's just get ready for the funeral. And the enemy's doing this day in and day out. And there are people that have had the miraculous take place in their life. They believe something, but they didn't have the the courage to be convicted of it. And therefore, it's not changing anybody else but themselves. We have to address this issue of courage. We need to mix faith with courage. We need the courageous church to rise up. In these last days, not just what we believe and not just keeping it to ourselves, but being bold enough to live it out, talk it out, share it with others, help other people get to the same level we have gotten and be bold about the coming king and his kingdom and the revival that we know is going to take place. It's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. The devil does not care what you believe. Notice that Jesus trades her fear for his peace. Because she stepped out in fear, with fear and trembling, but did it anyways. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is overcoming fear by doing it anyways. That's courage. That's courage. It's believing a promise over a problem. It's believing God's word over the current circumstance of the situation. It took courage for her to step forward and give Jesus the whole truth. And then he says this, go in peace and be healed. So notice that he takes care of the healing in her body, but he also takes care of the healing in her soul. Go in peace. He says, give me your fear and I'll give you my peace. Go in peace and be healed. I don't want to just be healed. I don't want to just get my external answer. I want all the answer. I want Jesus to heal the whole thing. But now look at this. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. Very next verse. While he was still speaking, they came from the house. Notice he's still speaking what? Go in peace, daughter. Your faith has made you whole. Not my power has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith drawing on my power. It's not that Jesus doesn't have the power. It's just that we're not pulling on it by faith, connecting to it by faith. While he's still speaking, they came from the house saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Now, watch this, verse 36. But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, here it is, do not be afraid any longer. Notice with the woman with the issue of blood, he addresses faith, 
daughter, your faith has made you whole. And fear, go in peace. Now, with this man, Jairus, he says, do not be afraid any longer. Watch this. Only believe. Only believe. But he precedes only believe with do not be afraid. He precedes only believe. See, we, we, we are a people, we've gotten the only believe part down. We've gotten the faith side down. We've gotten the element of believe it in your heart. We've got that part down. I'm going to live by faith. I believe by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I'm going to hear the word. And man, I, I believe that we have people that have stocked up faith. We believe it. And you know what God's word says. You know what you believe. You are, you, you, you are strongly founded and grounded on the word. But now this element of courage. Now this element of, of stepping out in what I believe. Allowing, see, see, here's why he said do not be afraid. Whatever you are afraid of controls you. We see this in our world right now. If you want to control something or someone, get it afraid. Get it scared. See, your every every promise of God is intended to end in fulfillment. Every promise of God. How does God get you to walk out your future, your destiny, and your purpose? He makes promises. He makes promises. Not one of us has ever been just run up to the front of the line, skip the promise, skip the process, skip the progress, and get to the purpose. God always shows you purpose at the beginning when you can't. When you're not strong enough, when you're not big enough, when you don't make enough money, when you don't have enough resource, when you don't have enough people behind you, when you don't have enough character within you. I mean, God always starts at the beginning. And he starts with the promise. You will be a father of many nations. Problem. I'm 75 years old. My wife can't have kids. The odds are stacked against us. We're behind the eight ball. God, you got the wrong guy. Nope. I'm going I'm to give you the purpose from the beginning. God doesn't wait for your life to weave through all the stuff and say, oh, that's what they were designed to do. He picked that out from the beginning. Your, your purpose and your plan and your destiny was, is before the foundations of the world were even established from his mother's womb. From the mother's womb, you were known, and you were known what you would do. And it starts as a promise. And every promise that God gives is intended to end in fulfillment of that promise. Couple verses, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. If he began it, he will end it. If he started it, he will finish it. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And God is the only one that can get to the 
end of a thing, see it from the beginning, and then go all the way back here to the beginning of the thing and say, all right, let's start now. And everywhere in every step you take from the promise to the fulfillment determines if you receive the fulfillment. And along that way, there are things that the enemy introduces to keep you from obtaining the fulfillment of the promise given. All along the way. The moment that woman stepped out and heard about Jesus, he's a healer, he's a miracle worker. The fulfillment was her receiving her healing. But all along, there, all, all, all along the way, there are hindrances. Religious laws. The crowd. How am I going to get? And she navigated by faith every hindrance and every obstacle that came her way to the point that she finally got to the hem of his garment. And then Jesus takes care of the one last hindrance and gets rid of her fear. And she boldly and courageously steps out. But fear is designed to keep you from the fulfillment of the promise of God. That's what fear will do. Fear is a control tactic. The enemy introduced it from the beginning in the garden. Used fear to cripple. Used fear to restrict. Uses fear to limit activity. Uses fear to keep you from progressing from promise to fulfillment. Some of you in this room today, there are promises that you have neglected and abandoned, and maybe you're not even on course any longer because somewhere along the line, you got scared. Fear showed up and said, you can't do that. They'll never support you. They won't be behind you. You don't have enough resource. You're not schooled enough. You're going to embarrass yourself. You have no business in that realm. You have no business raising kids. You have no business running that business. You have no business handling those types of finances. You have no business doing this and doing that. And fear shows up, and fear will never, ever move you towards God's purpose. Ever, it does not have the capacity to move you towards his plan and his purpose. Jesus knows with Jairus in this moment, if we're going to get from when you showed up on the shore and you believed that I could come and lay my hands on your daughter and she would be healed, if we're going to see the fulfillment, we're going to have to eradicate fear and we're going to have to encourage faith. We're going to have to eradicate fear, and we're going to have to encourage faith. The encouraging of the faith came when he saw the woman with the issue of blood. Imagine if she would have remained hidden. Then he wouldn't have had the faith shot for the next assignment that just came. She's dead. Don't bother him anymore. Imagine if he, if he had not witnessed that miracle. Imagine if he had not seen that take place right before his eyes. Your miracle could be encouraging someone else to get their miracle. If you would open up boldly enough about it. But the enemy wants to control. The enemy wants to restrict. The enemy wants to hide. The enemy wants to conceal. The enemy wants to limit. The enemy wants to keep you from advancing towards the fulfillment of the promise of God. He can't do anything about the promise. But he can do something about your process. 
There's nothing he can do about the promise at the beginning. The promise is the promise. You will be a father of many nations. You will deliver my people from Israel. My people Israel will go into the promised land. I will send my Messiah. I will send my son. But along the way, these fear tactics show up, and we have to learn how to navigate these better. And we got to do better than just saying, well, I believe God's word. I believe God's word. I know you believe God's word, but you're not acting on it. You're not talking it. You're not living it. It hasn't become so much of a conviction in your life that you're living it out and walking out and it's altering you. And, 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 and fear has remained hidden in these days. Fear has remained concealed because we, we use different words for courage today. We use different words for courage today. One of those words is acceptance. We have become an overly acceptant society. And we call it now today courage to push equality and push, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're fighting against divisiveness and, and all these. No, no, no. When you call out sin, you're not being divisive. You're honoring the word of God. Calling sin for what it is. But no, we have created a new term for courage, acceptance. I mean, they call it bold enough, brave enough to come out. Yeah, that's not courage. That's not courage. We've got another word for courage that we have accepted. It's called caution. Caution. I'll tell you right now, you, you, you can be cautious and never obtain what God has called you to do. I'm talking about outrageous courage today. If I already lost you, just, just, just hang out and sit there so nobody knows that you checked out. But just caution. Oh, I'm just, we, you know, we got to be cautious. No, we got to be courageous. And some of our caution is restricting us from forward advancement for the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about some of these things today. I said, you got to let me meddle. Caution. I give you one more that we've heard over and over for the last year and a half. Wisdom. We've substituted wisdom. And we call it courage. We call it being courageous. We got to be wise, got to use wisdom, got to use wisdom. Oh, there's a wisdom. Oh, there's a divine, supernatural wisdom that's far above your natural ability to comprehend, to understand, to enact. And I'm just going to tell you right now that there's a courageous spirit that's going to rise in the church that's going to look so different from what the world would call courage, that you'll be wondering what were we even thinking, thinking that that was courage, calling that courage, calling that being brave, 
calling that being bold. We're going to see what boldness really looks like in these last days. We're going to see the church, the courageous church, rise up. And it's going to be up to you to choose to be in or out. But we cannot have one foot in and one foot out because they're not two different things. You can have faith and wisdom at the same time. But we've got to learn to rely on a supernatural wisdom that is beyond our thinking. People want to tell me they use wisdom and they don't even pray in the Holy Spirit. Then I want to know where you're getting your wisdom from. Because you're not even listening and yielding to the wise one, the Holy Spirit, living inside of you. Are y'all doing okay? I'm just getting started. There might be like two or three people left by the end of this thing. That's okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. Faithful is he who calls you. And he also brings it to pass. Faithful is he who calls you. Because he's faithful to bring it to pass. There will always be a fight between promise and fulfillment. There will always be a fight between promise and fulfillment. There will always be something standing in between. There will always be something standing in the way of you fulfilling the promise that God has made you, of you seeing that come to pass. It might be natural. It might be spiritual. It might be financial. It might be emotional. It might be hereditary. It might be generational. Come on, there's, there's all kinds of things that when God gives us a promise, and God doesn't consult you about the promise. You ever notice that? He never asked us our opinion. He didn't ask us what we were good at. He didn't ask us what we would like to do. A lot of times, the very thing that God calls us to neglects and ignores all those things. So if we're going to see fulfillment of the promise, we're going to have to learn how to not only be a people of faith in believing the promise, but a people of courage to step out on the promise. So go with me to Numbers chapter 13. We'll try to dial this in. Numbers chapter 13. Courage has all kinds of faces today. But I believe that there is a godly courage, a biblical courage, a standard of courage that has been eroded. And the reason why we have a dilemma of courage is because we don't really know what courage looks like. We don't know how to identify. Was that courageous? Was that bold? Or was that really cowering back? Was that really standing up for myself? Or, 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 or? we need to have some markers. We need to have some indicators. What does godly spiritual boldness look like? And I'm going to tell you this right now. This boldness is an unnatural boldness. I'm not talking about you. Look, there are some people that think they're being bold, but they're really just obnoxious. I'll just be honest with you. No, you're not brave. You're just annoying. Always talking about everything. Always, you always got to be the one standing up and rebelling against. No, that's not what we're talking about. Because I can tell you right now, you can have godly courage and still choose to not play on the enemy's playing field. 
What does that mean? If you start standing up against things, but using the enemy's tactics to stand up, like ridiculing, calling out, making fun of, um, 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 then you know what? You have played right into the enemy's hand. If you allow it to frustrate you, if you allow it to upset you, and you're not praying for the people that are frustrating you, then you have played right into the enemy's hand. He's got you right. He's got you upset. He's got you frustrated. You think backwards from him, but then you do what he would encourage you to do. There's a right way to go about the frustrations we're seeing in our world. I mean, I would put it this way. If the things that you're seeing in the world today are not frustrating you, you're part of the problem. But if you're not handling those frustrations the way the word tells us to, you're also part of the problem. Yeah. No, there are certain ways. The Bible tells us to speak truth. But there's a qualifier, in love. You lose the truth if we don't do it in love. And you, you, and you lose the love if you don't do it with truth. Why is that one of the most difficult dilemmas that, this, that the church of today has a hard time with, but yet it's a command from God himself? If he told us to do it, it must be possible to deliver truth, not compromise truth, but also walk in love where people know your heart and your intentions are best for them. There must be a way to do this. If it's in the Bible, he's not going to tell us to do something we can't do. That's a dilemma we got to figure out. How do I be bold and stand for righteous truth, but do it in a loving, compelling way that draws them to the repentance of God? It draws them to the heart of God. Draws them to the heart of the Father. How can we have prodigal son moments where people abandon, neglect, and walk away, but the second they walk back, our arms are open, quickly forgetting and quickly um, um, receiving and accepting as if they never left? How do we do that? We've got, we need the love of God in these opportunities. We need the love of God that's been shed abroad, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. We need to have this. But a biblical courage, what does this look like? Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. You know this, the 12 spies go into the promised land. This is the report they come back with. Thus they told him, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, Amalek, is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. And by the way, the descendants of Anak, those are giants. The family of Anak was giants. So we're talking about individuals that are tall, big, and not only that, but they're warriors, they're fighters. It's one thing to go against a big guy that doesn't know anything about combat, but you get a big guy and they know stuff about combat, you got a fight on your hands. But the men who had gone up with him said, no, verse 30, verse 30, can't skip verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Notice his statement, we will surely overcome overcome it. He's confident. That's a conviction. 
someone that's ready to act on what they believe. Not just talking it, not just been believing it for over four generations in slavery uh, and, and embattled by uh, the, the, the Egyptian uh, uh, rulers and the Egyptian nation, keeping them under their thumb. This wasn't just something they were believing in hopes and wishing one day this would happen. This was a firm foundation, a firm conviction within Caleb's heart. We can surely overcome anything that stands in our way. We will surely overcome it. It's conviction. Belief plus conviction equals courage. Belief plus conviction equals courage. It's not courage until you're willing to live convicted by it, ready to be moved to action by what you believe. When what you believe alters or transforms how you live, you've now entered conviction. And when you take your belief and you mix it with the conviction to act on it, now you're in courage. Now you've entered a courage mode. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. For, look at this, they are too strong for us. So they had a reasoning. They had a reasoning why they believed. Ten spies versus two. Joshua and Caleb are the two good spies. They said, we are well able to take this land. We can go up at once. Regardless of what we see, regardless of what we experience, God's promise said, this is our land. Ten spies said, it, it might be our land, but these people are too strong for us. And they go on. They gave the people a bad report. Saying, watch this, the land through which we have gone, in spying it out, so they're given their credibility. We've set eyes on this. We've looked at this. Is a land that devours its inhabitants, meaning it's too much land for us to take. We're but a small nation of people. We cannot possibly run, you know, overtake this land. It swallows up its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size, meaning there are giants, there are men of great stature in there who know how to combat and who know how to hold down territory, who know how to keep us out, is what they're saying. This is their reasoning. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. You know, when, when we operate in fear, we don't call it fear. When we are operating out of a fear mentality, even if we know that we are, we don't call it fear. Nobody rightfully, intentionally chooses fear. These 10 spies did not get together and say, when we get in there, let's tell them we're afraid to go take the land. They had their reasoning. They had support for what they believed would be the outcome if they try to overtake this land. You've got to catch this. You've got to hear this. 
These 10 spies did not believe they were giving in to fear. They thought they were giving way to wisdom. It was fear, but it was masked as wisdom. Fear masquerades as wisdom. Fear never looks like fear. And fear is never called out as fear. We put other labels on it to make ourselves feel better or to feel like we're choosing the right thing. We have all kinds of alternative names to put on fear. No one rightfully says, I'm afraid, initially. Even when we counsel people, even when we're walking with people, maybe it's, maybe it's a healing in their body or their marriage is just at the absolute point of, of, of implosion. And, and there's just, and, and it, it takes weeks, sometimes even months for us to finally get them to say, I'm afraid I won't make it. Or I'm afraid I'll lose my spouse. Or I'm afraid my business won't turn around. Or I'm afraid. It takes months, years sometimes to admit I'm afraid. Because they mask it with so many other things, eventually they lie to themselves so long about being afraid that they've convinced themselves, I'm not afraid. I'm just being cautious. I'm just using wisdom. These 10 spies didn't all get together and have a huddle and say, let's choose fear. They said, let's choose wisdom. Let's be wise about this. These guys are big. Got to be wise. I mean, sure, that might be our promise, but, but guys, we got to use wisdom here. We can't just go up in there. Promise, fulfillment, and in the way are these tactics of control, these tactics. And now Joshua and Caleb have to rise up in a supernatural, outrageous courage. They knew what they believed, but until what you believe is mixed with faith, you won't have the courage to step, or until what you believe is mixed with the conviction, strongly believing it that it alters your life. Until it's mixed with that conviction, you won't have the courage to step out. And the enemy didn't care that this was their promised land. The enemy didn't care that God had promised thousands of years prior to Abraham. The enemy didn't care that this was what they had been believing for all these years. The enemy didn't care that this land belonged to the Israelites before it ever belonged to anyone else. The enemy doesn't care about the Word of God. The enemy doesn't care that you believe the Word of God. The enemy doesn't care unless you're willing to step out and do something with it. And if the enemy can't keep you from believing it, he will work vigorously to keep you from walking in it. He will work, he will push against you. And this is the thing. Caleb doesn't even have to it's not even about conjuring up the courage to overcome the enemy. Notice now, he's having to conjure up courage just to overcome his own people. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing Christians not bold enough to step out because of what other fellow Christians may say. You might not care what the world says, but you care what your mom and dad say. You care what your brothers and sisters say. 
You care what your, what your grandma and pastor from, from down the road. And, and, and we have all these people that we don't want to upset that are in our circle. You know, Jesus upset people in his own circle when he chose purpose over people. You know that he looked his best friend, Peter, in the eye and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a, you are a, um, a hindrance to me. You are a, a oppression to me. He looked Peter directly in the eye because he said, I will never bow my purpose to people, not even those closest to me. It's this fierce courage that has to come back to the church. Fear has, has gripped almost this entire planet in, in more ways than one. See, when you know that your enemy is stronger than you, then you influence them with fear to restrict their movement and their capacity. It's what you do. If I can scare you, then maybe I can prohibit you from defeating me. The church of the living God has no business being afraid of anything. The church of the living God has no business being fearful of anything, fearful of disease, fearful of man, fearful of government, fearful of, of, of countries, fearful of elements, fearful of tornadoes, fearful of hurricanes, fearful of storms, fearful of, of natural disasters. The people of God have no business operating with fear in any capacity in their lives. And I am not getting enough amens on that, and that concerns me. We should be rising up in supernatural courage, above and beyond natural comprehension. Not a courage that man can give you. Not a courage that a government can give you. Not a courage that a medical doctor can give you. Not a courage that a, 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 an influencer can give you. But a courage that comes directly from the word of God. God. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, it says, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Doesn't sound like a courageous bunch to me. You know, I'll be honest. Fear seems to spread quicker than faith. Fear seems to be much easier lit. I mean, to get someone in faith, you got to work, you got to work, you got to work. But to get someone in fear, I mean, that thing, it's just kindling, waiting to light up in fire. Ready to spread like a wildfire throughout. And I can work, and I can work, and I can work every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday, every Wednesday, every podcast you hear, every time you read the word, by his stripes you are healed, uh, that he's given you uh, authority over sickness and disease. He went through all the, he, uh, you know, healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds, of, and then the doctor give you one report, and it's like, boom, everything I said has gone out the window. That's why the word says faith comes by hearing. 
but that word hearing is not a one-time event. It's a perpetual. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. Faith does not come by having heard. It says faith comes by hearing, meaning I've got to consistently and perpetually keep the hearing in motion because if I don't, fear will creep in and take the place of faith. It says the whole congregation wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. And now they've been moved to such a point that they are ready to stall out right where they are. And even worse, they go on and say, maybe it would be better if we go back to Egypt. Go back to what we just got delivered from. I mean, you don't know a faith test until your past looks more attractive than your future. You don't even know a faith test until you start saying, maybe we shouldn't be out here. Maybe we need to just go back to the way things were. Maybe it was better off when I didn't have that. Maybe when I was better off when I didn't, wasn't doing all this. That's when you know you're in a faith test. Would it be that we had died? Verse 3, why is the Lord bringing us into this land? Now they're even questioning God's intentions. This is all the result of fear, by the way. Masked as wisdom. Guys, maybe this isn't the best idea. Caleb not only had to have courage to stand up against the giants, he had to have the courage to stand up against his own company. We know eventually that all of them die off. God's command is that I'm taking out everyone, including Moses. Moses can't even go in. And the only ones that have entrance and access to the promised land are the two that were courageous enough and bold enough to step out on my word, regardless of what they saw, Joshua and Caleb. So they die off in the wilderness, 40 years wandering. Finally, their corpses lie waste in the wilderness, never experiencing the goodness of God, never experienced what God wanted for them. And look, in the wilderness, it was miracle after miracle after miracle. But in the promised land, they were going to have to learn how to fight. They were going to learn how to harvest. They're going to have to learn how to plant. They're going to have to learn how to reap. They're going to have to learn how to do some things that in the wilderness, water's coming out of rocks, manna's showing up on the ground, birds are bringing dinner, their battles are being fought for them just by simply holding up a man's arms. I mean, just incredible things, miracles, signs and wonders. But in the promised land, see, the reward for maturity is responsibility. The more you grow, the more you get to do. The reward of the mature is being handled, being handed more to watch over. The one that was given two talents increased it. The one that was given five talents increased it. The one that was given one talent didn't increase it, buried it. And that one was taken from him and given to the one with ten. Because when you prove maturity, you're only proving what more you can handle. It's not a a restful place. The promised land was not a restful place in the sense that they were just going to lay around and plop grapes in their mouths and do nothing all day long. It was a place of work. It was a place of promotion. 
It was a place of favor. It was a place of seeing God's goodness and God's uh, inhabiting a land. But inhabiting that land meant guarding the land, protecting the land, keeping the land, making the land fruitful and prosperous, making sure that the stuff that doesn't belong in here stays out and the stuff that should stay in here stays in. That's the work of the promised land. And by the way, that was the work of the Garden of Eden, too. Just for those of you that think Adam and Eve were just running around naked, eating apples off of trees all day long. It was work involved. Tend the garden. Keep the garden. Make it sure it's fruitful and prosperous. The same mission. See, you, see when, when we allow a spirit that, that to creep in that moves people away from work rather than closer to work, you're, you, you are not about the Father's business. You are not about the mission of God. And we're seeing this creep in right now where there is more privilege given to those that don't work than those that do work. And that's a, that's a place in society you don't want to go because your mission's only fruitful if you're doing something. He said, occupy till I come, not sit around and wait till I come. This is not a pack your bags, say your prayer, confession of Lord Jesus Christ, and just wait to get raptured up out of this place. And in the meantime, complain about it, grumble about it, and talk about how you want to get up out of here so bad. He ain't come yet by all that. What do you think our grumbling, you think that's going to usher this thing in any quicker? Why don't you get alongside us, lock arms with us, and start getting about the Father's business? Maybe we can see Jesus return faster. But everyone that's sitting around just praying, Lord, get me out of here, you are not a part of the solution. You're not helping move this thing further along any quicker. There's a doing. There's a working. Y'all okay? I guess we'll find out next Sunday if y'all are okay. Y'all are here because you have to. It's too embarrassing to get up now. You've already sat through all this. Hallelujah. Joshua chapter 1. Worship team, go ahead and come back up. Let's do yes and amen. Because his promises are faithful. He's a faithful God. He wants to get you from promise to fulfillment. He wants to get you from the beginning of the thing to the end of the thing. But you're going to have to not only have some faith about it and believe what God's word says, you're going to have to develop some courage to step out on what God says. And if you confidently believe in what God's word can do for you with a great conviction, then you're going to have the boldness, the audacity, the outrageous courage to step out and do what you say you believe God can do. This is God's word to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, Moses is gone. My servant is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. So this is the commencement speech. This is the great commission. This is these last generation. They failed to enter in. I've raised up a new generation that doesn't know anything about slavery, doesn't know anything about oppression, and now I'm ready to take them in. Listen to these words. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised you. Past tense. I have given you. I have given you. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites, and west to the Mediterranean Sea. What he's saying is, just in case there was any confusion from the last group about how much of this land I could give you, I'm giving you all of it. I'm reminding you, if I said you can have all of it, then you will have all of it. No one will be able to stand against you. Listen to these words. 
No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. What is he saying? What is against you is not greater than who is with you, than who is in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What can man do to me? If God is for me, who can stand against me? Verse 6, here it is. Be strong and, everyone say it with me, courageous. Be strong and courageous for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. Verse 7, above all, be strong and very, say it with me, courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Verse 9, haven't I commanded you? Look at your neighbor say, haven't I commanded you? Come on, look at him. Look at the other neighbor. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and say it with me, courageous. Say it one more time. Say, courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Watch this. He doesn't say one word about anything in this passage about having more faith. What's he doing? He's amping up their courage. Didn't I command you? Haven't I command? I mean, even to put that statement in, haven't I commanded you? What's that tell us? He's trying to emphasize you've got the faith. You believe in the promise. You believe nobody can stand against you. You, But now what you're going to need to go in, because when you get in on the other side and you see what you see, it's going to affect your courage. It's going to affect your boldness. It's going to affect your ability to step out on what you believe. Stand on what you believe. Resist what you don't believe. Stand in the face of the enemy. He doesn't say one word about getting more faith, more faith, more faith. No, you need courage. You need courage mixed with your faith. Be like the woman with the issue of blood. With fear and trembling, she came. She received God's peace in place of her fear. Be like Jairus. Do not be afraid. Only. Would you stand up with me? And we will rest. We will rest in what? His promises. I will rest in his promises. Because he's confident. Or I'm confident in his faithfulness. He's faithful. He's good. He's strong. He's mighty. He's promised you. He's, he's already declared to you. He's already made known to you. He's already given you his word. That sickness cannot kill you. That disease cannot take you out. That financial crisis can't be the end of you. That marriage has to be restored and renewed. You have confidence in the promise. Confidence in the promise. Come on. I will rise. I will rise in my confidence. I will rise in what I believe can happen. I will rise in what I know. His word says I can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. 
By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.